please exhale. And now let's begin. Welcome to the Science of Light. I'm your host, Rosemary. If you're interested in exploring holistic wellness topics through a perspective that blends spirituality with science, I think you've found the right place. And I'm so grateful that you're here. Let's figure out this life thing together. Always keep your feet on the ground, your head in the stars, and stay in the light. Welcome to part two of our hypermobility series. So if you tuned in last week, we had Dr. Libby Hinesley on about um, just a lot of scientific stuff around what it really means to have a hypermobility syndrome and some like co-occurring symptoms and stuff that can be related. So that episode is super fantastic and interesting. This one is more about getting into the nitty gritty of yoga injuries and what leads to them, what muscular imbalances lead to them. And then this episode is just packed with actionable tips to address those common injuries and to prevent them rather than um, treat them after the fact, which is always the idea, right? Like that's a very Ayurvedic paradigm of looking at things that we're going to make sure we do the things that we need to do so that we prevent injury or disease instead of trying to throw a Band-Aid or something added after the fact. So lots of good stuff in this episode. Our guest today is Dr. Lauren, who is a doctor in physical therapy. So you'll hear her story. She tells how she gets into yoga. You know, I'm always interested to hear that. And I love bringing those stories to this podcast because there's a lot of parallels that we hear of like how people got into yoga, why they got into yoga, why people become yoga teachers or why they do the things they do. And so there's some parallels. And I think hers is also interesting. This is is another wonderful story of um, somebody who was just following their heart and put something out in the world that the world needs. And it's a beautiful offering. And I just love finding these little stories and hearing about them. And then not only is there that story throughout this episode, it's just woven with threads of like really actionable things along with like the nerdy explanation because I love the nerdy explanation. I don't always have time to explain the whole background in my yoga classes that I teach. So that's why this podcast is super fun. Um, But so if you've heard things like you've heard of yoga butt or um, like if you get wrist pain or shoulder pain doing flow yoga, there are tips in this episode that you can apply to your practice right now so that you can experience less pain and still continue to enjoy your yoga practice. So I'm super thankful for this episode, and I hope it helps you all. It was fun for me to nerd out about, so I hope y'all enjoy it as much as I enjoyed recording it. And so with that said, I also want to point out that at the end... We talked about if y'all, if anybody has any questions about this kind of stuff, that we might do a part two, but I also would love to hear y'all's questions related to hypermobility or um, just Vada season. So this is kind of like a Vada season little mini series we're doing here. And I got feedback from the listener survey I did recently that you all enjoy mini series deep dives. So I'm going to try to do more of them. So if you have... um more ideas either for this mini series specifically you'd have to reach out to me pretty soon for that or like another mini series or just questions in general that you have for me that you'd love to hear about on this podcast please reach out to me you can email me rosemary at yogiscopes.com that's y-o-g-i 
S-C-O-P-E-S.com or find me on social media. It's always linked in the show notes. So without further ado, let's get into the interview. It's a great one. I'm grateful that you're here. Here we go. Welcome to the Science of Light. I'm your host, Rosemary, and today I'm joined by Dr. Lauren Shelton. Hi, Lauren. Hi. FYI, for folks listening, Lauren is a doctor of physical therapy, which means kind of makes you an anatomy nerd, right? Oh, yeah, definitely. (laughs) So can you tell us your yoga story? How did you get into yoga? Sure. So when I was an undergrad, I went to UNC Chapel Hill um, in North Carolina. I know you're local to North Carolina. And I did exercise science. And my dad owns a gym. And I was always into that kind of lifestyle, like go to the gym, go work out, Mm -hmm. go lift weights. But when I graduated undergrad, I was personal training and I was miserable. I did not like the focus on everyone just cared about what their body looked like. They would hire me and their goals would be Mm -hmm. like, I want to lose 20 pounds or I want to get a six pack or all these things. And I was just like, I don't want to do this with my life. I don't want to be helping people achieve some sort of aesthetic goal. So it was kind of around this time, um, post undergrad that I was actually living in Nashville, Tennessee. And believe it or not, I had a job at Lululemon (laughs) and a bunch of my coworkers did yoga. And I was like, I had minimal exposure to it in undergrad, like very minimal, like maybe taking a couple of classes. But when I really started Mm -hmm. to practice and be around people who practice yoga, I just became obsessed with how much it was focusing on your inner self and focusing on mindfulness Mm. and breath and movement. And I loved practicing in studios without mirrors because it was just so nice to be able to move and be in an environment that people weren't trying to like look a certain way. Um, So that was really Mm. how I found yoga actually before I went to physical therapy school. Okay. So you just started like with personal practice. Because I know I saw that you did your yoga teacher training after physical therapy school. So what led you to physical therapy school? Was it like a natural next step? Yeah, honestly, the same thing is what led me to yoga. I I didn't want to be in this, okay, we're going to have goals of like losing weight. And so I loved the Mm -hmm. way PT was really the science of exercise and health but it was actually putting health above like the way your body looks. And it was about restoring from an injury and feeling better. And while I was in PT school, I was always really interested on preventative health. Um, And we can talk about that more later, but that's a lot of what I do now because I'm just a lot more passionate instead of someone like getting injured and then they come see me. I'm really excited about how can I help people from having to come see a PT? How can I help them from getting injured? And it was then after grad school, right when I graduated, I had a job lined up in Asheville and I had like a two month period of my like last summer before I was a real adult. And that's when I did yoga teacher training in Asheville. And I loved it and I was obsessed and knew that I wanted to really immerse yoga and physical therapy together because I had such a passion for both. That's awesome. So... Then, so you moved to Asheville and started working, doing physical therapy? Is that what you were doing? Yep. So when I was in Asheville, I worked in a small private practice there. It actually um, 
doesn't even exist anymore in Asheville. I think they got bought out after I left, but I was working there and I was treating patients Mm -hmm. 40 hours a week. And then I would, um, hold like staff yoga sessions and was really developing my personal practice. And I wasn't doing a ton of teaching then it wasn't until, um, later actually about a year after that, that I started actually teaching in studio and wanting to, develop more of my teaching practice. I think I was so overwhelmed with being like a new clinician and I wasn't ready to be also putting myself out there because, you know, teaching in a yoga studio takes a lot of practice and teaching, you can graduate from a yoga teacher training Mm -hmm. and still feel like you have no idea what you're doing. And so I think I wasn't ready to push myself quite yet in that area. Yeah, no, that, that is a lot too. Um, but so it sounded like the yoga was informing your, practice as a clinician. Can you say more about that? Absolutely. So I love the way in yoga, we're constantly talking about the importance of breath. And oftentimes in PT, Mm. we, we know it's important, but it's, it's forgotten a lot in orthopedics. So one of the specialties Mm -hmm. in physical therapy is orthopedics, which is what I specialized in, but there is also women's health and pelvic floor. And I have several friends that Mm -hmm. went that specialty route. And when I talk to them, they have all this beautiful knowledge of breath, diaphragmatic breathing, that mind-body connection, because there's so much importance with breathing in your pelvic floor. Because when you inhale, your pelvic floor actually relaxes and drops down. And when you exhale, your pelvic floor contracts and lifts. And so breath is a huge part of their treatment. But from an orthopedic standpoint, you know, we're looking at, you know, rotator cuff pain, ACL tears, sprained ankles, like all the run of the mill, what you think of as like classic PT. And so there wasn't a big focus on breath. And so I was able to use my yoga teacher training to inform a lot of my patients who are having, uh, any sort of, well, like core issues, any sort of core weakness, because your pelvic floor is part of your core, Mm. any sort of poor, like back issues. A lot of times they don't know how to expand their breath into their back. Um, so that's how I was able to use a lot of my yoga training. And then honestly in Asheville, when I was working there, a lot of people who practice yoga a lot inherently have like wrist pain or some sort of injury. So it really informed that manner because people would come to me with yoga injuries and I would like be able to talk to them authentically about their practice because I actually know yoga. (laughs) So that was a big part for me. Holy cow. So that makes sense, you know, because I live in Asheville and I have often said before that everybody here has their 200 hour, like everybody here is a yoga teacher, not just, you know, not everybody teaches, but most people enjoy yoga enough to have been through a training, right? Absolutely. And so that's interesting that you started to see, I mean, that makes sense for Asheville. Like I believe that. Um, that you started to see, they were specifically yoga injuries, people coming to you or were they there for something else? Oh yeah. And then the yoga injury like came up. Yeah. Specifically yoga injuries. Um, I will definitely talk about this later cause this is honestly the basis of my entire brand was realizing a lot of times when people are doing only yoga, uh-huh. there's a lot of, you know, there's sun A's, there's sun B's, there's a lot of hamstring stretching. There's a lot of balance poses. And so over mm-hmm. time, if those people aren't just like anything else physical, you have to cross train. And so even though we don't look at yoga as yes. a physical practice, 
the asanas are a physical practice. And so people inherently who are only mm-hmm. doing yoga were getting like wrist pains, huge. I would see that a lot. Um, a lot of rotator cuff pain, shoulder pain. Um, and so mm-hmm. st- specifically people who they were going through their 200 hour training, because most of the time people are like doing yoga, yeah. I don't know, maybe three times a week, but then they go into teacher training and they're doing it every right. single day for like multiple hours. And so it's like this perfect storm of mm-hmm. a, a lots of injuries kind of occurring or like cropping up towards the end of their training. Wow. I relate with that because I did a lot of power flow yoga. And then in my teacher training, which I didn't do an immersion one, I trained at Ashley Yoga Center and I did their one that's nine weekends spread out over a year. And I got a snowboarding injury that I thought was unrelated. But then later I found out I injured my SI joint and I found out that SI joint injuries are common from flow yogis. Oh um, yeah. Just from the nature of, of flow yoga. Um, and it was during, it was like halfway through my teacher training. Yeah. That was what I was dealing with with my, cause I did the immersion. So it was like three weeks by the end I had SI pain on yeah. both sides, my right and my left. And so it gave me a lot of insight. I was like, okay, wow. like this is how it honestly helped me treat people better because now when I have treat as in not like treat them nicely. I mean, like when I'm treating them in the clinic, because right. now when they come yeah, with yeah. SI pain, I'm like, okay, I've yeah. been there. I know how to help you. Right. Some really important um, things with SI pain and why they get injured with SI pain so much in power yoga is because a lot of the poses are unilateral. So that just means on one leg. So when you think about right. like standing mm-hmm. poses on one leg or even poses on two legs, but they're putting a big stress to the SI joint, like a big crescent lunge, low lunge, warrior one, warrior two, mm-hmm. all of that where your legs are really far spread apart from one another. It's put placing like a little bit of a counter strain on the pelvis and causing stress at the SI joint. Um, so a lot of that overstretching right. and yoga and bringing one leg really high up into a stretch, it does put stress on the SI joint, which is totally like manageable and you can absolutely get back to doing yoga pain-free. A lot of the modifications I teach people is take Mm -hmm. shorter stances. Like if you're doing a warrior, bring Mm -hmm. your back foot in a little bit and then learn how to like activate your deep core muscles and keep your pelvis in neutral, Mm -hmm. even though you're doing something different with your legs. So that's huge to manage it. Yeah, totally. That's awesome and actionable and very helpful. Um, so I know you talk a lot about hypermobility. So was hypermobility part of your story? Did you experience that or it's just something you've noticed? How does that show up for you? That's a really good question. Actually, no, not at all. I'm not hypermobile, which is funny. I've never, I guess, okay. It like makes sense that you would think that, but really when I was, um, in Asheville, I was, treating, I had several people come into the clinic with EDS, which stands for Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. And there's actually Mm -hmm. multiple types of Ehlers-Danlos, but about 90% have the hypermobile type. So that's usually when people are saying EDS, they're referring to hypermobile EDS. And that just means they have Mm -hmm. an actual genetic component that's making them more like lax in their ligaments. Their collagen structure is a little bit different. So they're actually genetically more mobile through their joints. And what got me into it is because most of the people who are hypermobile, they like flock to yoga because they're good at it. Like, you know, all the people are like, I'm not flexible. I can't do yoga. I don't want to come to your class. I have poor flexibility. 
But then the right. people that are hypermobile are like in there, in there, popping up in compass pose and all these crazy like back bends mm-hmm. and stuff. But then what we don't see on the yeah. outside is those people have a lot of pain because they aren't able to control all the joint mobility that they have. So it actually just became something mm-hmm. I was really interested in PT. And then I, when I was in residency down in Mayo Clinic, Florida, I did an in-service for our whole staff and did a lot of research and shadowing in the Ehlers-Danlos Clinic that they have opened there. Um, so I just wow. became really interested in it on my own. And it's something... I love to speak about to anyone who practices yoga, because whether you're a teacher or you're just a practitioner, you're going to like come in contact with so many practitioners that have hypermobility. It's impossible to escape it in yoga. Cause like I said, mm-hmm. they love it. So that's right. really what got me passionate about it. Totally. Just how many there are. Yeah, that's so true. I can't tell you how many times I've had people say the same thing to me. I can't come, I don't want to come to yoga because I'm not flexible enough. Or people come to me in a class, like at the beginning of class, and they're like, I just came and I really want a good stretch. That is what I hear overwhelmingly. Like, I'm just here for a good stretch. And that's what they associate with yoga is just stretching and more stretching and being flexible, which is good. Yes. Um, but then also I think it points to how like left to our, our own devices, we'll all just lean into our furthering our imbalances, right? Because that's totally. what we're good at. That's what feels comfortable. Totally. And a note on that, like usually people with hypermobility, they're going to want to keep stretching because they're good at it, because they go to yoga and they're encouraged by like their teachers that, oh, wow, you can get in these like peak versions of a pose. What I'm super passionate about is mm-hmm. talking to these to these yoga practitioners about how much they need underlying stability and like what's going to prevent them from getting pain is working on their stability. So there's a lot of ways to incorporate stability into a yoga practice. Um, some of the things I like to tell people with hypermobility is whenever you're in like a single leg balance pose or you're in, let's take triangle, for example, you can just relax and triangle and have your front hand just like plop down on the block. You can have your front knee hyperextended. You can just throw your top arm Mm -hmm. back. But if you are actually engaging through your core, maybe even hovering that arm off the block, it's okay to use a block for a balance point. If you're not like resting on it, hover off the block and then put a micro bend in that front knee so that then your hamstrings are actually firing to stabilize you there. It's 10 times Mm -hmm. harder, but it also is going to prevent all those people that are have hypermobility from having pain after their practice. So it's huge to teach them the difference between like resting in a pose and being active in a pose. Yeah. So that sounds like it, it's a good to build a stable flow. It's more than just adding in sort of like strengthening poses. It's changing the way you approach any pose. Yes. To be more strengthening rather than just stretching. Yes. Something that I like to do in my classes is to make people aware, like if they're doing a standing leg raise and they're holding their um, leg out in front with their, maybe they're doing a lock with their fingers around their big toe. It's like cueing them because sometimes they'll like Mm -hmm. hyperextend through the knee because they're just doing this big stretch is cueing them. Like, can they let go of their big toe? Can they hold their leg up there in space? Can they engage their core, lift their hips to be even like, all those little modifications you can make, um, in, in a vinyasa practice. Mm -hmm. So like vinyasa can be accessible and safe for people with hypermobility. 
It just has to be coming from a very knowledgeable standpoint, either working with someone who knows how to help hypermobility or going to a teacher who is familiar with working with students with hypermobility, because you're not going to be going for those big stretches. And I would also say for someone with hypermobility, if you ever have a class where they're saying like, do you want hands-on modifications? Put your hand down. You do not want hands-on modifications because you just don't want to risk a teacher coming in and pressing you into a deeper stretch because that's really the opposite of what someone needs with hypermobility. Um, so just having that own personal knowledge of their mm. body and then picking appropriate yoga classes. Like I always try to steal people with hypermobility away from yin yoga. Not that yin yoga is bad. But it's just not going to be good for them. Right. Um, so it could definitely mm-hmm. like restorative is fine, of course, but yin where you're holding really, really long poses, mm-hmm. they're going to leave not feeling good. Right going to further the imbalance for sure. Sounds like. Absolutely. And one more thing I like to teach with hypermobility is making sure you're adding in symmetrical poses. So chair pose or thing that's not having like single leg balance Mm -hmm. or, um, so anything that you're like child's pose chair and when you're in, um, bow or wheel, any of those, even though those are big back bends, since they're symmetrical, if you teach um, core engagement during them, they can be safe. Right. Well, that's what, from my understanding, can you maybe tell me if this is right or not? Because it's something I've totally been going around saying that from my understanding, the point of the vinyasa portion, what we've come to know in the U.S. as the vinyasa portion of a flow class, meaning the plank to chaturanga to upward dog, back to downward dog, from my understanding, the whole point of that piece between the unilateral flows is to restabilize the hips and shoulders and bring them back together. And so I often teach folks that instead, if that feels like too much, then instead of skipping it, maybe you do some cat cows instead, because to me, that seems like it serves the same intention. Is that, am I right about that? I love that. To be honest, I've actually- Yeah, I actually haven't heard that, which I bet like that is- that's really a lovely way to look at a vinyasa. Um, and I love adding in a cat cow. The other thing is telling people like you can step back to high plank and kind of press out through your shoulder blades to get some protraction there. And even just like hold a high plank and then go back to down dog. That's another way. Like they don't have Mm. to always lower down. Um, and then I very much love the variation of dropping to the knees, controlling the lower, and then doing an active cobra because then you're getting some active back extension versus a lot of times in up dog, people will just like rest on their arms and do like this big back bend. And it can kind of not feel great on the lumbar spine if you don't know how to engage your core while you're doing it. Um, So I, I love the idea of doing cat cows instead. That's great. That's just something I came to from my experience with an SI joint injury when I was going down the rabbit hole of like, how do I not do this anymore? You know what I mean? Like, how do I not continue to hurt my SI joint by practice? Because I still love a good power flow. Like, it's still one of my favorite ways to practice, you know? So I don't think we need to throw the baby out with the bathwater, right? Like, Absolutely. And um, another... I was recently looking into, because I was curious about vinyasa as well, and I was reading about vinyasa can just mean a creative sequence. So it just means that all the poses flow together naturally versus maybe like a bhakti class or a class that's going to be a little bit more just like you're stepping from one pose to another. Um, And so I 
I think that's why vinyasa is fun because it has like that dance element where you're like flowing yeah. effortlessly between poses because they build on one another. But just because it's a vinyasa class doesn't mean it has to have 100 chaturangas. And I try to tell people right. that like when they're teaching, yeah. you know, just, you know, be aware that you don't have to blow out someone's shoulders by doing 100 chaturangas when in reality, yeah. you know, a, a bunch of like back strengthening locust is my favorite pose because there's very few poses where you're like pulling your shoulder blades together. Like, yeah, you mm-hmm. have cactus arms, but in cactus arms, you're not really getting much resistance because you're standing. So gravity is acting downward. But when you're right. in locust, gravity is acting on your hand and you have some resistance and a little bit of upper back strengthening, um, which is why it's right. my favorite pose. <laughs> okay. I love that. Um, because I actually saw recently, which I want to point people right now to your social media, that if you're interested in this stuff, you're... Instagram specifically is a wealth of information related to everything we're talking about here. But I saw you posted recently, I think maybe I'm dreaming about, yeah, about, um, the difference between like when you're doing, can you just say more about that? Like sure. the working against gravity or with gravity? Yeah. So one of my big passions on my social media page is telling people why they need to be adding in other exercises to prevent a muscle imbalance. And so I believe the post you're talking about is, I was talking about in chaturanga. So when you're doing a chaturanga push-up, there's a lot of research that has shown, like they try to figure out, everyone's always trying to calculate everything. And they average about 70% of your body weight, because you know your feet are touching the ground. So obviously it's not 100% of your body weight on your shoulders, but it's about 70% of your body weight on your shoulders as you're lowering down. So that means like your pecs, your deltoids, your rotator cuff, they're working um, and managing 70% of your body weight. Then you think about if you do that repeatedly in a class, that's a lot of really intense strengthening. Mm -hmm. On the flip side, your upper back in yoga, if you're just doing like the only thing you're doing is cactus arms and then like a few locust poses, all the resistance your upper back is getting is the weight of your hand and your arm against gravity. So that's infinitely less than 70% of your body weight. And so over time that can create an issue because you're really strong in the front side of your body and weak in the back side of the body. And that's what I see when I treat shoulder injuries from people who do it from vinyasa or yoga is that they're like, upper back. So their mid traps, their rhomboids, lower trap, their serratus, Mm. all those muscles are really weak. And so I usually either get them like, there's a few simple exercises. Like you don't have to love the gym to stay like pain-free in yoga, but really just like gentle rows, um, rows, any sort of like banded retraction, essentially mimicking a locust pose, but we're trying to add more resistance so we can balance out the chaturangas. Right. That makes sense. So that's, I mean, that's kind of the crux of what you do, right? Is that's what stability flow, your program, what it's even about is just balancing out what you've seen over time as common. Yeah. I got the idea because I was noticing, okay, how can you, if you tell a bunch of people who do yoga to like go to the gym and deadlift, they're just going to be like, no, I like to do yoga. I'm not going to do that. And so I feel like I'm a little unique in the sense that like I have a very, I came from like, I literally grew up cleaning equipment in a gym because my dad owned a gym from the time I was born, like before I was born until he just sold it last year and I'm 30. So I literally grew up cleaning equipment and like living, like I feel so comfortable in a gym. 
But I also understand that's not the case for most people and definitely not the case for yoga practitioners. And so Mm -hmm. stability flow is all about how can we add like really simple targeted exercises into a yoga flow to prevent these muscle imbalances. So it's not like you're going to feel like you're weight training, but it's all like strength and stability based yoga. So you're not going to be doing like big static stretching. There's no like half pigeons and all these poses that you're already getting in your regular practice. It's essentially no stretching and really honing on, on the strength and deep core stability and hip stability and upper back. Like I throw in Mm. a lot of times, like in locust, we pick up small weights and do retractions and then go back down into down dog. So it's basically hitting all the things that you're missing in a yoga practice with the goal of allowing you to practice yoga without pain. That's awesome. I love it. The world needs that. Yeah. Um, so the anatomy behind it, like you were saying for in chaturangas, for instance, it sounds to me like we're, a lot of us are weak in the back from maybe practicing a lot of yoga, but also a lot of people sit at desks a lot. Does that factor into it? So this is something you've, you've spoken about, um, the difference between weak or um, tight muscles. It sounds yes. like there's that, some of that interplay going on. So could you say a little bit more about that? Absolutely. So this is a usually very mind-blowing to people that do yoga because they feel like if, like if I'm stretching all the time, like I, I, why do I feel tight? And I see that a lot. Like people mm-hmm. who go to yoga, they still stretch their hamstrings all the time and they just still feel like this tightness. But what you need to realize is tightness doesn't actually mean muscle shortening all the time. It doesn't have to mean that. Because your brain Mm -hmm. is responsible for any sensation that you feel in your body. This is a communication between in your nervous system. So your nervous system is telling you something. So oftentimes that sensation of like tightness or guarding, it isn't actually that your muscle is shortened and need to be stretched. It's actually your brain telling your body, hey, okay, I don't feel very strong. So I'm going to tighten down in order to prevent from getting injured. So you're, if you are feeling like, okay, my hamstrings are always tight, but then you can also do a bunch of poses that require a bunch of hamstring strengthening. My question for you would be, okay, is it really tight if you actually have a lot of flexibility? Typically what a lot of yoga practitioners need is they need strengthening. So they need, um, it, you don't have to be getting, loading up a 200 pound barbell and doing a deadlift. You can literally hold like small dumbbells and do like a slow eccentric load. That's actually the post I was going to post on Instagram today. I haven't gotten to it yet, but it's all about that eccentric load of the hamstrings and being like, okay, how can you target strengthening there to prevent injury? Because the second people build more stability in their hamstrings, they tell me, oh, I don't feel tight anymore. And it's because the brain now feels safe that it's not going to get injured because it has that underlying stability and it will actually relax. Um, and you can have true muscle shortening that requires stretching, but that's I honestly almost never see that in yoga practitioners because they're getting so much stretching. And then the mm-hmm. other really interesting thing about hamstrings is if you're feeling really inflexible in your hamstrings, but you continue to stretch, you can very much irritate your sciatic nerve because a lot of times what people are doing is they're just cranking on that nerve. And so I teach people like in my stability flow classes, instead of hamstring stretches, we do sciatic nerve glides and that helps the nerve flow back and forth through the tissue and allows it to free up 
And that will do a great deal for that sensation of tightness without having to hold a big hamstring stretch. Uh-huh. Wow. So that was a wealth of information um, that you just shared. Thank you. Um, so can you say more about like this points to, you mentioned before yoga, butt. that's a yes. thing we all heard about. I, it, it was like in the, I remember seeing articles about it a little while ago, this concept of yoga, butt um, of causing hamstring injuries. So is that also like, I've heard before people say, I didn't come up with this, but sciatica is a symptom, not a diagnosis right? Like, so it can be caused by a lot of things. Absolutely. Is that related to yoga butt? Can you just say a little bit more about yoga butt, sciatica and all that? That's a really great question because I think I actually just read in like yoga journal at some point they did a post on yoga butt. And I thought it was funny because I think that people have this misconception that it means like, if you do yoga, you're going to get a good butt. And I was like, no, no, no. Like yoga, butt. they're talking about an injury. Yeah. (laughs) And so what this means is when people have pain, like it's really like right on the bottom of your butt cheek. And that's because that's where your hamstring inserts on. It's called your ischial tuberosity where your hamstring inserts, but in yoga, we just call that your sit bones Mm -hmm. and your hamstrings are literally attached. Yeah. Yeah. They're attaching right there. And so what happens is when you're stretching so much and the muscle might be guarded because it's scared it's going to get injured, what happens is you won't stretch at the muscle belly because your nervous system is already tightening down in the muscle belly because it doesn't want to get injured and doesn't want to strain the muscle tissue. So it tightens down the muscle. And then when you pull into Mm. a big stretch, it starts to pull at that insertion point on the bone. And that's what that proximal hamstring injury, that's when you have that pain right there. Into your point with sciatica, it can absolutely right. yoga butt can cause that because so sciatica is just means irritation of the sciatic nerve. It's when that nerve is flared up and pissed right. off at you. But if you have, um, you can get that from multiple issues. You can get that from a disc injury. So if your low back has maybe a little disc bulge and it's kind of pressing, causing pressure on that nerve, that can irritate it. If you mm-hmm. have really, really tight, deep external rotators in your glutes, so if you peel back your glute max, you have six external rotators. Most people have heard of the piriformis muscle. But that's just one of your external rotators. And the reason right. why that one's yeah. so popular is because your sciatic nerve is running either underneath, on top, or actually sometimes through the piriformis muscle. And so when the piriformis is overstretched and guarding, it can start to put pressure on the sciatic nerve. And as a result, give you sciatica. So usually people are like, oh, I do like half pigeon and supine figure four and all this stuff for my sciatica. But they could actually be making the problem worse if the piriformis is tightening down because it's guarding. So I often, if you have to really assess that and see, and if I see someone is really weak in their piriformis, something that can really help with that pain is actually doing stability and strength to it instead of stretching it. In the same way, when you're stretching the hamstrings, the sciatic nerve is running really close between that proximal hamstring. So overstretching the hamstring can actually cause you to be overstretching the sciatic nerve. And your nerves do not like to be stretched. It can irritate them a lot. So we want right. to, that's why I tell people yeah. who are stretching their hamstrings, point your toes when you do it. Because that'll put your your sciatic nerve relaxed and not on tension, but then it'll allow you to stretch your hamstring. So you don't want to be bringing your toes back towards your face when you stretch your hamstring. You want to point your toes. Interesting. I have not heard that piece before about the toes. 
um, because I often teach in like a Supta Padangustasana, the the reclined hand to foot pose for folks that don't know that one, but I, I teach it with a strap and I practice it with a strap and I tell folks in my classes that you can, I'm like, if you want to add on a calf stretch, you can put the strap around the ball of your foot and then pull your toes to your face. But that sounds like now maybe I should not teach that anymore. Yeah, I can explain. So that does usually confuse people and you are right. You would get a calf stretch as you, you do that. Yeah. But you're going to get a, you're already getting a better calf stretch in down dog anyways. Right. So the reason why I tell people to point their toes is because your hamstring is attaching from that ischial tuberosity on the bottom of your pelvis to just below the knees. So you're, it's mm-hmm. not attaching all the way down to the ankle. And so when people point their toes back towards their face and they all of a sudden feel a bigger hamstring stretch, it's actually not their hamstring. They're actually tightening their sciatic nerve, which you don't want to do. Because when you pull wow. your toes back towards your face, your hamstrings don't attach all the way down to your ankle. So that shouldn't change anything right. at your hamstring. Yeah, yeah. That's so interesting. I just love learning about how it's all interrelated though, right? You know, like how our feet can affect what's happening at our hips and just, wow. Um, so the sciatic nerve does go all the way down to the the foot? Yes. Yeah. So sciatic nerve you actually can trace it through your entire body. So it's starting from your brain, it's going down your spinal cord, and then it's going out through like the backside of your body, sometimes piercing through that piriformis muscle in the middle of the butt cheek. Then it's coursing all the way down the back of the leg into the foot. Um, And so when you're manipulating like your ankle position, it will change the tightness you feel in the nerve because you're either tensioning it or slackening it. But it's not going to change anything in the hamstring because the hamstring's not going that far. So any ankle movements only manipulating the tension in the nerve. Right. Yeah. I usually encourage folks to not put the strap on their ball of the foot, but that's that's an interesting new piece of information um, because I see people doing it. That's why I usually try to clarify, like, where should you really put the strap on your foot doing that stretch? Um, and I, I think there's... I don't know. I just looked at it from a calf stretch uh, point of view before, but so that's a new interesting piece of information for that. Um, so then what about, to switch gears, wrist pain? You said that's another common injury you see. Um, what what do you see happening there? Yeah. So wrist pain is huge because most of the times we are not used to like weight bearing through our hands that much. Like in life, you're like picking stuff up. Maybe you're pushing open a door, but think about in yoga, like you're in high plank, mm-hmm. you're in down dog. Like we're putting so much weight through our wrists. And so, especially if people go from like, oh, I do yoga once a week. And then all of a sudden they're like, I'm going to do this 30 day challenge. and I'm going to do yoga every day for 30 days. And it's a vinyasa flow yoga. Then all of a sudden they're coming to me and they're like, yeah. oh my gosh, my wrist is killing me like right here. And it's because They're usually, so when we're in a high plank, we're in wrist extension, and this is going to place a lot of stress on the carpal ligaments here. And, and there's a Mm -hmm. lot of contact pressure between the bones. There's stress on the ligaments because you're in full wrist extension. Anytime you're in a plank and in down dog, it's a little less, but it's still a lot of extension. And so what I tell people is you, you can't go from zero to a hundred with anything in our body. Like most injuries are from doing like not enough for a long time and then too much too fast. So like most people are just like ramping up way too fast in their exercise. So the first thing is, yes, you're going to have to back off a little bit on the amount of practicing you're doing 
And that just means poses on the wrist. So like there's plenty of flows out there that don't have a single chaturanga and you can do standing sequences Mm -hmm. just till the the pain is calmed down. Then you really got to figure out how can you reduce the pressure through your wrist in your practice? A huge thing is looking up the chain. So anytime there's an issue at the wrist, we want to go all the way back up to the shoulder blade because it's usually a weakness and a breakdown at the shoulder blade or at the elbow that's causing people to dump into their wrists and put more pain or put more pressure. So if you look and someone's in high plank and they have wrist pain, a lot of times they're super relaxed through their upper back. And so that means their scapula, their shoulder blades are just kind of like winging Mm -hmm. off their back. They're relaxed. They're not engaged. Mm -hmm. So I tell people like press the ground away, get your scapula to protract and move away from one another and really feel like your serratus muscle, which is located right here really feel it like engage and fire up. So when you get that support at the shoulder blade, that's going to take pressure out of the wrist. The second thing I see is hyperextending through the elbow. So a lot of, mo- like we said, people who practice yoga are hypermobile and you'll look and they're doing like, they have their elbows like locked out in high plank and chaturanga. And I always mm-hmm. tell them like, you want to have a little micro bend there just like you do in your knees and triangle or standing poses, it's same thing goes for your elbow. Because if your elbow is locked out, it's going to place even more, it's going to change the ground reaction force at the wrist and put it in front of the joint and put more stress there. Mm-hmm. So if that didn't make sense, just trust me on this one. You want a micro bend in your elbow and that will help you to start actually engaging through the triceps, through all um, your forearm muscles, versus just relaxing. And then the third and final thing with wrist pain that I always teach and talk about is making sure that you're engaging through all your fingertips. So if your fingers are relaxed, that means Mm. all the the stress is going through the wrist. As soon as you engage the fingertips, it's just going to immediately take pressure out of the wrist. Um, So thinking about all five fingers and then even like um, the finger pads, like right at the base of your hand Um, and keeping almost a teeny little dome in your palms so they're not fully flat on the mat, all of that can help keep those fingers bracing and taking strain off of um, the wrist. And lastly, someone is still having pain with it, I'll say to tell them to do a chaturanga with their making a fist. So you're definitely going to want to take any rings off if you're wearing rings because that won't feel great. But if you make a fist, it's actually going to allow you to rely more on just the bony alignment of your wrist and less on like the ligaments and less pressure there. So the wrist mm-hmm. pain can allow just like some stacking. Right. And I, I don't, it's kind of awkward to do that. I, I'll admit it's like, it feels really weird for someone who's used to just having their wrists normal and chaturanga. But it can be a great thing yeah. just to do like during the vin- like the little vinyasa part of your class when you go from high plank before you lower down, right. switch to fists, and then lower down just while you're having wrist pain and until you've worked out all the other biomechanical factors. Totally. Yeah. So it sounds like, yeah, making fists is not a, a permanent solution just to um, – while you address the other things because like you said, you can then rely on the stacking of your bones to lower down – it puts the wrists in neutral. But so what I'm hearing, this draws back to like the whole idea of hypermobility 
with like, if you're just relying on the mechanics of your joints to hold you in that plank and as you lower, it's going to cause more pain in the wrists. But then, um, so this is something I also like to say to folks with the jump backs. Like if you're going to jump back to Chaturanga, I always tell people, I'm like, please don't land in plank when you jump back because people still do it. They'll jump back and have their arms locked out straight the whole time. And I try to like really drive that point home. But what I always tell people is like, it's you, your muscles will act like a spring. If you land with chaturanga arms or something like that, elbows bent rather than letting your joints take all of the impact. If you land with arms locked out, but that sounds like the same idea with just holding plank in general. Yeah, like when you're jumping back in plank, that's a really, really interesting example because you we talked about, you know, when you're doing a push-up, it's like 70% of your body weight through your upper extremities or your arms. Well, if you're jumping back, I mean, mm-hmm. anytime you jump, you're going to quadruple the amount of ground reaction force, the amount of like weight that's going through your upper extremities. Because think about it, you're now like adding the acceleration of gravity. So it's probably like three, this is a fake number that I'm making up right now, but it's probably, I would say three to four times. Cause we know with running, like think about running is you're not jumping high when you're running, you're just doing little steps, but it like quadruple, like five, six times your body weight up through your lower extremities when you're running, because you're like bounding between one leg and another. Same thing when you're Mm -hmm. jumping back into plank, it's going to at least like triple the ground reaction force through your upper extremities. So yeah, if you're jumping back and your arms are locked out, you are just loading on the wrist. And so by jumping back and at least in a chaturanga, it still scares me a little bit, but if you're jumping back into a chaturanga, at least you're going to catch a lot of it into your triceps. I would say absolutely. If you're new to yoga, zero jumping back because you're going to load those tissues way before they have built any tolerance for that. Yeah. People still want to do it though. And that's what, I mean, I'm like, personally all for it. I'm like, if you want to learn how to do it in a way that doesn't cause pain and further imbalances, like go for it. But it sounds like your program stability flow is like the answer for that. Right. Yeah. So so thank you for building that. I'm excited about it because I really feel like I have not found anything. I've searched near and far on the internet and I have not found anything that's actually trying to help Mm -hmm. people who do yoga to be able to continue to do yoga how they want to. Cause like I said, like you're going to get injured. You're going to go to a PT like me. And if you saw me in the clinic, I'd be like, here's a bunch of exercises that you need to do. And I can like, I'll do a full exam, figure out the problem. And then we'll be like, okay, let's fix the problem with these exercises. But what if we change that? And I said, Hey, if you added these exercises into fun flows, like I did in stability flow, what if it kept you from seeing me in the clinic? Mm -hmm. And I am excited because I feel like there's so to me, yoga has so many glaring, like things that are ready to cause injury. Like anytime you're overstretching a muscle and then not counterbalancing it with a lot of strengthening, boom, there's a problem. Anytime Mm -hmm. you're loading through your wrists too much, boom, there's a problem. Anytime you're doing all these like Eagle arms and binding with your arms, boom, there's your shoulder injury. And so I see all these things Mm -hmm. and I'm just like, I love yoga and I don't want people to stop practicing in their studios and community, but what right. if they could do tw- a 20 minute stability flow? Like, so they're broken down by body parts too. Like you can do a full body stability flow, but also you could click on shoulder stability flow and you could do a 20 minute flow. That's focused on like upper back strengthening, rotator cuff strengthening, core strengthening, all the things we know in PT 
to help build strong, stable shoulders. And it's in a yoga flow. So you're still enjoying moving on your mat. It's not, I'm not having you do like sets and reps using dumbbells. Okay. Um, and then you can go back into your studio and feel so much better because you've built shoulder stability and now you can practice alongside your friends in the studio. So my goal is never to take people out of the studio, but to help them enjoy yoga without pain. Right. Yeah. I love that. And that was going to be my next question actually was like, is it more like exercise or is it more like yoga? So I love that, that it's, it's what us yogis would feel comfortable doing is more yoga. Cause that's what we like. That's why we do it. Exactly. Um, so then it even sounds like teachers could learn from you and start to incorporate this stuff in their teaching as well. A hundred percent. So one of the really fun things I'm adding into stability flow program is there's going to be educational videos too. And they're not going to be super long because I want it to be, okay, I took a shoulder stability flow. Oh, I have an extra few minutes before whatever my next errand or my next patient or whatever they're doing in life. I'll watch this five minute clip of Lauren talking about why I need to strengthen my rotator cuff or joint forces in the body. And so there's going to be a lot of education to the membership. It's not simply going to be classes. Mm -hmm. So although there will be new classes every single week, um, I want to make sure there's new education. There'll also be like a forum where you can ask me questions as well as I'm considering doing monthly like live zoom calls so that that way people can really connect with me and ask questions about, their personal practice, injury prevention and all that. So yeah, I really want it to be so much more than like, I don't want it to feel like a fitness app. Right. As I said earlier, I got into yoga because I don't like the fitness industry. So my goal is to not make it feel fitnessy in any way. Mm. It's a hundred percent about feeling like we do yoga to feel balanced mentally, but what do we do to help us feel balanced physically? Like a lot of times when I leave a yoga practice, I'm exhausted in my shoulders, but like nothing else feels very work that much. Right. So I want people to leave a stability flow class being like, wow, all my muscles I've like connected and felt all my muscles working pretty equally. And so that's the goal is to really round out the physical practice of yoga and help them prevent injury by doing so. Very cool. I love that. Very needed. So is that, I should have probably known this beforehand, but it's already live, right? Or is it launching No, soon? so I'm in pre-launch stage. I'm folks find out more about that. Yeah, I'm in pre-launch right now. So I'm offering okay. anyone that gives me, so anyone that shoots their email to me via Instagram, like on social media, I have a bunch of people that have already reached out and they're excited and ready to join. Those people who reach out prior to launch date, I'm getting, giving a really big discount. So it's going to be a monthly rate those people are going to be getting it about half price per month. Um, and so just, I want to honor the people that reached out before I even launched, because that means so much to me for people to support Mm -hmm. before it's even in real. So I'm right now, um, recording classes in studio. I'm working with my brother who is a web designer and we're building the app from scratch. So it's custom built for stability flow. So it's going to take a couple more months to get up and running, but we are pumped about it. I like, we've got studio lighting, real microphones, all the things. So I, I'm all in and excited and ready to help people in this way. So yeah, you are, you are okay to not know that. I'm pumped about it. That's amazing. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, but that's awesome. That's really cool. Thank you for putting that into the world. So needed, so important. So do you want to tell folks where they can find you for now? Yes. Perfect. Um, so 
honestly everything on my Instagram account. It's doctor, so dr.lauren.yoga, drlauren.yoga. And that account, uh, I know Rosemary said she'll link it in the bio, but anything I post on there, like it's totally like education for you to be able to improve your practice. Even if you don't want to sign up for Stability Flow, I would still love to have you follow me and just learn more about your yoga practice, how to prevent injury, how to feel better in your practice, um, and the science behind it all, the really the physical science behind it. Um, so I'd love to have you follow me there. And yeah. if you are interested in stability flow, please just reach out, DM me on Instagram. I'm always on there, um, connecting with people, chatting with them. And if you have any specific questions about it, please don't hesitate to reach out. I'd love to talk to you and answer any questions that you have. It's fantastic. Yeah. And I personally get a huge amount of value of following your Instagram. I learn, it makes me think and I learn and I love it. So thank you for putting that into the world too. So are there any final thoughts you want to leave us with? I think that about covers it. I'm really excited to have connected with you and I hope we can do more in the future. Um, maybe a whole nother podcast just on specific injuries or something. Cause I feel like that's always what people Ooh. reach out to me about. So yeah, thank you so much for having me on Rosemary. I'm excited yeah, to connect. I love that idea. Thanks for being here. And I just, we'll put, let's put that out into the world. If folks have more follow-up questions, we can both collect them and maybe cover them again sometime in the future. That's a great idea. I love that. That sounds good. Yay. Thank you. Thank you. Well, how awesome was that episode? So I want to definitely continue to extend that invitation out that if you all have more questions, um, maybe we can get Lauren back on for a part two. So either reach out to her if you already know her and feel comfortable reaching out to her, or if you've been a listener for a while and you feel more comfortable reaching out to me, either one of us would be happy to take and perhaps answer your questions um, when you reach them reach out to us with them. But if you have a question, then probably somebody else has a question. So like some of the things we covered in this episode are very common. Like a lot of people that practice a lot of yoga experience, like an SI joint injury, like I've had, or people have like chronic wrist pain and we still want to enjoy yoga. So if you have a a question or if this like just struck a chord in you, I would love to hear your questions or so I'm sure with Lauren, you could reach out to either one of us on social media Um, And if you want to sign up for Stability Flow, I know it's going to be awesome. So make sure you contact her on social media and get your email out of that list so you can get that steep discount. That's like pretty freaking awesome. So yeah, thanks for being here. And I hope y'all remember to always keep your feet on the ground, your head in the stars, and stay in the light. Until next time, friends.